Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why? Why is this happening? It doesn't seem fair. And it can be frustrating. And it can be discouraging. I used to be the caregiver for my mom who suffered from a neurological disease, a motor neuron disease that left her completely bedridden. She couldn't talk. She couldn't walk. And I asked that question over and over again. As much as I prayed for a miracle, I cried out to God and said, why? It just seems so unfair. Why is this happening? Why has this happened? In fact, I'd given my life to Christ during that time, and I was not perfect, but I was doing right. I, I, I was serving my Savior. And things didn't get better. They got worse. And sometimes we end up in that space. And today, I want to look at a story in the Bible, a story of Job. And this man is someone that we can admire, but we'd like to do so from afar. If you're familiar with the story, he was the epitome of misery. He had lost everything in the blink of an eye. And yet at the end, he was still standing. And despite the catastrophic suffering that he experienced, he also had tremendous blessing in his life. And so let's turn to the book of Job, and we'll start right at the first chapter in the first verse. And it reads like this. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. And so right from the jump, we learn a lot about who Job is, right? His character, his integrity. And then it goes on. We learn a little bit more about him. Before we get into verse 2, I just want to make sure you understand this as we get into this story. Job is not a fictional character, right? This isn't Dorothy in the land of Oz. He's a historical figure. This is Job in the land of Uz. And scholars suggest that he lived in what would be now modern-day Saudi Arabia and that he was a man of integrity, as we just read. But, but please note this as well. He was not perfect and sinless. Only Jesus Christ can lay claim to that status. But again, blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil. Verse 2, he had seven sons and three daughters. All right, so he was busy doing other things as well, raising a family, (laughs) right? And uh, he had 10 kids, so he could run full court at any park just by bringing the the, the kiddos along. But besides having uh, all those kids, listen to what it it says in verse 3. He owned 7,000 sheep. 3,000 
camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. All right, so when you listen to that, just to, to sum up so far, he's a faithful man. He's a family man. And now that we see here, he's a businessman. And on the surface, you might say, well, did he just have a, a big farm? Did he just have a, a zoo with limited selections of animals? No, this was something that caused him to be wealthy. And so back then, business was done more from an agricultural standpoint versus industrial or, or technological. And so when you hear 7,000 sheep, I want you to think clothing company, okay? When you hear 3,000 camels, I want you to think trucking fleet or, or maybe uh, a bunch of Uber Eats cars, right, ready to go. Uh, 500 oxen, think tractor business. 500 donkeys, think beverage company. I lost you there, I know. <laughs> Let me explain. So donkey milk, right, was known to have medicinal and cosmetic benefits and was a delicacy. Go ahead and Google it. <laughs> You'll find out. But then the, the large amount of servants. So think CEO status, right, a massive payroll. All right, so th this is pretty good, right? We're learning a lot about him just on the onset here. Verse 3, the remainder of it says, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Wow, a faithful man, a family man, a rich man, a great man. His reputation preceded him. It reached far and wide. It wasn't just in his local community. People in the surrounding areas respected him. They knew who he was. And again, a man of not ill repute, but someone people admired. And then in verse four, we learn a little bit about his kids, it says, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. All right, that was nice of them. <laughs> but what we can get from, from that verse is that uh, he was a man that went to a lot of parties, <laughs> a lot of kids, a lot of birthday parties, and at least seven times a year, there would be this birthday bash. It would be the place to be. Now, regarding Job's righteousness, I don't know how much his kids resembled that, but they certainly benefited from his blessings, right? Because they threw these parties and they had a great time. And then after the party ended, after the festivities came to a close, it says that he would pray for them. So I just picture, you know, people passed out everywhere, red cups sprawled all over the place, and he's just like, oh my goodness, another one, <laughs> right? And he's just praying for his kids. And, and he's doing that because they kind of took it too far, and he was praying that they didn't curse God in the process. But I want you to understand that Job, an honest man, a family man, a rich man, a praying man, and again, an involved process, right? He didn't just say a prayer that, that just included each and every one of them. It took some time. And, and you don't pray for people regularly, as Job did, unless you love them dearly. Job's a pretty good guy, isn't he? Yeah, I would think so. But then, these next set of verses transport us to another realm. So I want you to picture the curtains closing, and now we're at scene two, and it begins this way. As the backdrop changes, it says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. 
and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil. And so we have here angels in the presence of God Almighty. Among them is Satan. And the original words used there are the Satan, and and that's translated adversary or accuser. It reminds me of what the Apostle Peter said, that the devil, right, our, our adversary, roams around, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That seems to be what's happening here. But what gets me here is that God actually suggests Job, doesn't he? He's like, hey, have you considered my, my servant Job? He's, he's bragging. He's gushing over him. He's like, he's second to none, reinforcing all the qualities, the integrity that we just read about. And then we see the accuser right on schedule, verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And then verse 12 says, The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but a boundary on the man himself. Do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So basically what the devil does is is present this, this argument that, look, Job's reverence is strictly based on your reward. His behavior is directly correlated to your blessing him. Right? So if we take that away, if we break that equation up, I guarantee you he's going to curse you and not serve you. I want to point a few details out about the verses that we've read thus far. First of all, Satan is not on the same playing field as God. Let's make that perfectly clear. I know sometimes we see depictions of the devil arm wrestling, what would be God's swole uh, bicep, right? (laughs) You probably see that and they're about to go, no, out of his league, right? God creator, Satan creation. End of story there. But, but again, the devil is subject to God. He is, uh, it needs to be submissive, right? He needs to ask permission to afflict anyone. He's, he's like a, a vicious dog on a leash, right? And, and, and God's in control. But then, seems as if God lets Satan loose. Verse 13, one day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. And I picture this bearer of bad news to be frantic. A messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put their servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. It's like that dreaded phone call in the middle of the night. But then you get the knock on the door. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Verse 17, 
While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants of the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. What's that saying? When it rains, it pours. That seems to be the case here. Back to back to back catastrophes. And before he could even get the, the words out of his mouth to see if his kids were okay, his heart sinks even deeper than it already was. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them when they're dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Look, this is enough to floor anyone. Right? And, and no one would think any less of a person who completely fell apart upon hearing this news or experiencing sudden bankruptcy or the loss of a child, and in Job's case, both. But look at the response from Job in verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Mm. And said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He may have fallen physically, but, but he was strong spiritually, wasn't he? This wasn't even the end of the suffering. Round two starts in the second chapter. In the first verse, this is a different occasion. It says, on another day. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And so it's like, didn't we just read that? Yes, very similar back and forth here. Goes on in verse 3, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Check out this detail. And he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. There was that similar conversation, but that added detail that, hey, it didn't work out the way you said it would. Right? He, he did not curse me. He still maintained his integrity. And so Satan, as he's uh, true to form here, provides a reason, gives an accusation of why Job is still standing. Why he's keeping his integrity, verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all that he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. He wasn't giving up that easily. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Again, restrictions, conditions. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. So what we see here is Satan's argument now is, look, look, all that suffering that he experienced, that just was connected to his wealth. Easy come, easy go. But I guarantee you, if you hit him with his health, he's going to curse you. If you pile on this illness, it's, it's going to happen. And there's different suggestions as to what 
Job was diagnosed with. Some would say that it was an aggressive form of skin cancer. Right? We heard of the, the uh, statement given there that, that he was, again, having s- uh, sores right, all over the place. And, and these aren't just little baby blisters. Right? Th- these are boils. Th- th- these are severe. In fact, throughout the book of Job, I just picked some physical afflictions that, that he endured besides these inflamed ulcers. Right, the, the constant itchiness, as we read about as he was scratching himself. The, the, the disfiguration that occurred. That's how bad it was. The loss of appetite, the, the deep depression. There was difficulty breathing. There was uh, insomnia. There was, of course, the excruciating pain. And mind you, Job was not experiencing this in isolation. He had his spouse by his side. At least for a little bit. I don't know if it was the whole time, but, but she was watching him go through it. She was going through it with him. And listen to her response, verse nine. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sit in what he said. And so note the, the stark contrast between his response and her response, but I would cut her a lot of slack here because the fact of the matter is she just buried 10 of her children alongside Job. And she probably knew him best, right? And, and, and I, I just imagine that she did not say, see, I told you it's all going to catch up with you. you. You just think God is going to let you slide time and time again? No, no, no. Again, she probably knew him best and, and, and was, in my mind, thinking, look, I know you're not perfect, but I know you're a good man. And she was just as bewildered as Job was, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Why is God letting this happen to you? How in the world could he still be standing after experiencing these multiple traumas, these levels, high levels of loss. This is what I am begging and hoping that you understand today. Suffering will be inevitable, but suffering well is incredible. It's incredibly daunting. It's incredibly devastating. It's incredibly difficult, but it's also incredibly inspiring, it's incredibly encouraging, it's incredibly supernatural. I'm sure you know someone who has suffered poorly. You know, suffering's, uh, again, a, a reality of our life, and no matter how much you love God or how much God loves you, and he loves us more than we can fully fathom, If there's anyone who didn't deserve to endure the pain and the suffering in this life, it would be Job, right? He'd be at the top of the list. If there's anyone who could say, this isn't fair, certainly he'd be a leading candidate, Job, that is. Again, but the bottom line is that we suffer. And when you suffer poorly, it can go 
to the extreme and it can be the worst case scenario. Maybe someone you know hasn't handled hardship in a way that was healthy and ultimately they took their life. Right? In fact, during our time together, six people in, in the USA will have done just that. And I know there's other factors like mental illness. And, but, but this, the topic at hand, suffering, adversity, definitely has a role to play. Or here's another thing that suffering poorly can cause. It can cause us to turn our backs on Christ. Right? You, you may know someone who's done that. You may have done that at one time in your life. And so this is what the adversary wants to do. He wants to wreak this type of havoc in our suffering. In the words of Job's wife, he wants us to curse God and die. And so today, I want to reveal three ways that we can suffer well. Here's the first one. Accept adversity. Accept adversity. You see, Job had an understanding that everything good in his life was an undeserved gift from God. Right? So the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. And he had this understanding that we're not entitled to anything. Right? Again, it's a gracious gift of God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And then in verse 21, as I mentioned, Job, Job acknowledged that. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And in this type of mentality, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Right? So again, once we understand that, that, that we're not entitled to get everything we want, that we're not exempt from pain, that, that just because we're children of God, it doesn't mean we're going to live a struggle-free life. Oftentimes, there's huge blessing in the struggle. But what it also does, it allows us to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I can accept adversity. And blessings, they're a gift. They're not necessarily a given. Because our initial instinct is to avoid affliction at all costs, is it not? Right? When's the last time that you prayed to God, help me endure this trial instead of help me escape it? I'm guilty as charged. And even this verse we read prior, that this hedge of protection, you're like, oh, I want that. <laughs> I want this hedge of protection in my life so you block out all the bad and give me all the good. And please, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying be a masochist and embrace adversity. I'm saying accept it. Don't, don't be a masochist, but be a realist. And the reality is life can be hard sometimes, very hard. In verse 10, remember what Job said? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Again, th this perspective allowed him to not sin toward God. Jesus put it this way, in the world you will have trouble, but, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Praise God for that. And then once we come to this realization that, okay, adversity is a part of life, it's inevitable, the second thing we need to do is trust totally. Trust totally. And trust is, is key in any relationship, even your relationship, especially your relationship with God, if you have one, and I hope you do. But once we come to that realization that, look, we're going to have bad days, 
We're going to have rough months. We're going to have hard years. We need to trust God all the more. I, I just want to remind you that Job did not know that there was an exchange in, in the heavenly courts between God and Satan. He had no clue. Right? It wasn't as if there was this certain epiphany that came, and it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now, I mean, I don't like it, but I get it. That didn't even happen for him. He had to ultimately trust that God is in complete control, that God is always good, that God is infinitely wise. He had to trust all those things while he was going through it. And it's so vital that we do this, that instead of trying to figure out why, 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 we have faith in who, who God is, who we worship, who we praise, no matter what we're going through. Otherwise, we're going to go mad, right? We're going to go crazy trying to figure it out. Absolutely is the case with Job because he did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. In fact, God tells us that in the latter part of verse 3. He says he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. So Job wasn't delusional, but he just couldn't understand. And that's why I think Job's initial response is so admirable, right? You're just like, wow, wow. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to suffer well. There's people in our church that are doing that, by the way. It's inspiring. Again, it's admirable. You know, Job had a few friends visit him during this horrific ordeal. He had some buddies come and, and travel a great distance and just be with him. And in fact, they, they sat with him for a whole week, didn't say anything, just wept with him. But over the course of time, Job started to process everything he was going through, right? He had a, a lot of pain and, and a lot of time to process that in silence, but he breaks the silence in chapter 3 in the first verse. It says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. In other words, he said, I, I wish I was never born. That's how bad it is. I wish I was never born. And after that emotional distress began to take its toll, he, he started to and this is worth noting the difference. Question God, not curse God. Right? He, he started to, to have these lapses of faith. But listen to what it says in chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And then he goes on to say, even so, I'll defend my ways before him. He's like, this is hard, God. I'm trying to trust you, but, but I can't make sense of this. And so he has these lapses of faith. Trusting, questioning, trusting, doubting, trusting, going crazy at times, I'm sure, trying to figure this out. But he came to the point of wanting to give God a piece of his mind and eventually got what he asked for in chapter 38, the opening verses. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. Right? He, he had this one-on-one -on -one with God. And in verse 2, God says, Who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you'll answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. 
See, Job's trust started to, to waver, and all of a sudden, his pride started to rise to the surface because of the misery he was experiencing. And he was ready to say, God, I don't know if you got the memo, but this is how the world works. Bad equals punishment. Good equals blessing. So what in the world are you, are you trying to do here in my life? And then God goes off on Job for his overly simplistic version of life, right? And he asks a series of rhetorical questions. Note that he's not going to explain to Job why. He's going to show Job who, who God is. And he says, were you here when I created the earth? And I could just imagine, well, Job, no, no, I actually wasn't even around. <laughs> well, who decided on the size of, of or, oh, I, I have no idea. If it wasn't me. It's probably you. <laughs> The blueprints, the measurements, did you draft those? Do you know how the ocean works? Do you know how the, the, the clouds work? Do, do you know how the sunrise and the sunset works? Do you know, have you been to the Mariana Trench? That's the, the deepest part of the ocean as man knows it. Well, no, I haven't gotten there yet. Well, well do you know how the Grand Canyon was carved out? No, not really. <laughs> well, what, are all the, what about all the weather phenomena? Well, what about animals? Do, do you know why the lioness Hunts her prey like she does. Do you know why ostriches can't fly? <laughs> Do you know why eagles and hawks can soar so majestically? Uh, no, no, no. Exactly. Exactly. And so the Lord was showing himself and his power. And then look what it says in the opening verses of Job 40. Will the one who contends with Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I'm done. In other words, God was asking Job to trust him, not correct him. Trust. Trust that God is almighty, that he's sovereign, that he's wise, and that he's in charge of everything that he is in charge of what's happening in Job's life and the entire universe for that matter. And he knows exactly what he's doing. Believe it or not, you and I place our total trust in things more than we realize. Every time you sit in the chair, you're trusting that it's going to hold your weight. Every time you, you zip through a green light, you're trusting that the cross lights are, are red. Every time you eat out at a restaurant, you're, you're trusting that the cook has good hygiene practices, <laughs> right? And, and so we can trust in things and not totally understand how things work. And when life seems unfair, just remember, God is always aware and he's not gonna waste your pain and suffering if you are in Christ. It's, trust is so crucial during these hard times. So accept adversity, trust totally, and then lastly, create community, create community. As I mentioned, Job had his wife by his side and, and a few close friends, and listen to what it says about them in chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then, as I alluded to in verse 13, it says, then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. 
This is partly why we believe so strongly in small groups. Because you need people around you that are going to do this, that are going to sit with you in your suffering, that, that are going to be by your side in your darkest days. A perfect time to join Rooted or a Connect group. There's so much value in that. And here's another thing about being with a community. When you're alone and you're suffering, you can't think clearly. You can't process with the same perspective. You start to think this is the final chapter, this, that it's all over. But then a friend comes along and helps you move forward and, and, and encourages you and, and lets you know that the fog is going to lift and you'll be able to move forward with Christ. And, and maybe you might be saying, well, you know what, I'm not, a, I'm not in a season of suffering, so I'm good. If you're not currently in a season of suffering, would you please be a friend and come alongside someone? And help them when they're hurting. This is why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If you're familiar with the story of Job, you know his friends had good intentions, but they ended up giving him bad advice Right, and in a nutshell, they were basically convinced that Job had done something extremely egregious, and he just needed to come clean. Right, they just—it was so inconceivable that he would go through what he went through if he was innocent. That he must have had that secret sin, and once he confessed it, he could move on. But it's worth re-emphasizing that. Job, his wife, the entire community, his friends included, had no clue that this conversation happened in the heavenlies. But even though his friends were wrong, they were still his friends, and Job actually prayed for them. And interestingly enough, God restored Job twofold afterwards. Listen to how that happened. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. His brothers, all his brothers and sisters, and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted him and, and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Lots of good things happening there. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man full of years. And so he even had more children, 10 more children afterwards. They didn't replace the ones he lost, but again, he was restored. And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, I, I get it. I just have to stick through it, and I'm going to get double of everything I lost. If that's your mentality, you're missing the whole point. The point is God is worthy of our trust and our praise, even if we don't get restored. And if we do, he's obviously worthy of our trust and our praise. I, I know that this is difficult to embrace, that God would allow suffering. But if we trust him, if we trust that he's nothing but good, if we trust that his wisdom is superior, if we trust that he is sovereign over every circumstance, then we can begin to suffer well. You know, maybe you're here today and, and it's still the newer part of the year and, and you're here because you were trying to figure life out and you couldn't do it. You couldn't make sense of it. Take a page out of Job's life and, and surrender to God today. Again, the last verse I want to share with you or verses, 
says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. He said, my ears have heard, but now, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, if we suffer well, then that suffering allows us to go deeper in our admiration, in our affections and adoration for God, instead of the opposite, right? So Job came to that conclusion that adversity can be accepted and God can still be trusted. Not only did God allow Job to suffer, he allowed Jesus to suffer. Job was innocent. Jesus was perfect. And yet God allowed that suffering to occur to his sinless son unjustly so we could be forgiven, so we could be transformed. And maybe you're here today and you're, you're, you know exactly why you're suffering. It's like, I'm suffering because I did this, that, and the other. Even so, today you can be transformed and you can be restored, but you got to believe in Jesus. And I want to help you get to that point, get to that place today, right now. I'm asking you, have you truly trusted Jesus, not just with what you're going through on earth, but with your eternity? I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to pray, to believe. There's no better way to start the new year than having Christ in your life. This is the only way that you can have true hope in your heartache. So what I want you to do is bow your head. Every eye closed, every head bowed, every heart opened. This is between you and God. Would you just tell God, I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender to your plan. You know better than me. And I thank you that you allowed your son to suffer. Jesus, to die on a cross in my place. And I believe that he is my savior. And I want to ask that you not only forgive me, Lord, but you help me. You guide my life. You take control. Thank you so much for helping me during times of suffering. I may not understand everything, but I understand this much. You love me, and you saved me. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to let us know about it. And on that connect slip that Anthony talked about, you can check that box. I said yes to Jesus, and I'm going to give you a call personally. I, I just want to help you. I feel so strongly about this being the most important decision anyone can ever make. Same goes for those who are watching online. Please let us know. You can text the word next to the number that you see, 909-281-7797, and someone will be on that other end of that text message. Guys, I know that suffering isn't easy. And next week, we're actually going to look at a different angle 
of how we can remain standing, how we can persevere. And so please invite someone back, someone that needs to hear an encouraging word of God. But until then, know that adversity can strike at any moment. And so we need to be ready to accept that. And we also need to trust God totally when it does. And we need to create community to support and encourage one another as we go through those challenging times. And when we do that, I believe we're going to suffer well. I believe that God is going to be honored. And then we're going to get an opportunity to point people to the reason why we're still standing. And it's not us. It's all about Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let me pray and we'll take our offering. And we'll give you an opportunity to respond to God's word. Father, we thank you again for everything you've done during our time together. We thank you, Father, that you are totally trustworthy. You've proven it time and time again. And right now, as we give to make an impact here at Sunrise and Beyond, we're trusting you to multiply these generous contributions by your people. And so, Father, again, we can't do this without you. So we ask that you fill us with your spirit as we suffer well in Christ's name. Because suffering, Lord, is inevitable, but to suffer well is incredible. And we thank you that we can do just that with your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.